I think it's rather interesting that one of the earliest and one of the latest encounters between Jesus and Peter was based around fishing. The first encounter, of course, we read about where they've been teaching on the shore. The people are crowding around Jesus. The disciples, they'd been out fishing all day long. They'd caught nothing. They were cleaning their nets at the shore, and Jesus asked to get into the boat and push out just a short ways. After he was through teaching about life, then he turned to Peter and said, Go out into deep waters and cast out your net. I believe that what Jesus was sharing was both practical as well as spiritual. You don't catch big fish in shallow water. You want to make a catch? You got to go out into deep water. But if you go out in deep water, that's where you run into the chance of storms and shipwreck. Life can get challenging, but that's where you make the big catch. Spiritually, life is more than what you eat and drink and wear and sleep. If you want to live life, you have to think about the deeper things in life, the things that matter. You got to go deep. And so it is you're called to go out into the deep and to cast out your nets if you're going to find life. They made a big catch. They came to shore. They left everything. They decided to seize the moment and to follow Jesus. Three years go by. They've learned a whole lot. But when it comes to the end, they still fail. They deny knowing Jesus. They run away in his moment of need. Jesus is crucified. And now they are discouraged. And his disciples They go fishing again. They fish all night and they catch nothing. The story is so reminiscent of the very beginning when they had their call. They fished all night and they catch nothing. And in the morning, Jesus is standing on the beach and says, Cast out your nets on the right side. And they do. And they haul in this huge catch of fish. I believe that what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples was, I'm giving you an opportunity. An opportunity to go out into the deep to seize this moment, to follow me. And if you're willing to risk and follow me, understand I will be with you. And it's because I am with you, life's going to be an adventure. You're starting on a great voyage. Exciting things are going to happen. This morning, I want to start a sermon series entitled, The Voyage. And what I want us to be looking at is the idea that I believe... Christ gives all of us the opportunity to seize this moment, to put out in the deep, to have adventure, to go and to experience life. You know, it was Mark Twain who said years ago, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Seize the day. I want us to talk about what does it mean for you and I to have the opportunity to follow Christ in an exciting way. To seize the day, which means you've got to go out on the open seas and trust God in the deep water. On this morning, as we celebrate 125 years history of our church, I want us to think about those who are willing to seize that moment. To go out, to dream a great dream to take a chance and follow Christ into a whole new world. They truly are the saints on whose shoulders we stand. We all know that it was on Monday, April the 22nd, 1889, 
50,000 people more gathered all around the the different uh, borders of our state. And at high noon on that Monday, they shot the gun and people descended all over our state looking at two million acres of undesignated land so they could all have a homestead, build a place, have something of their own. Here in Oklahoma City, we believe that we went from zero and at sundown on Monday, we had 10,000 people living in this city. Now, life was not easy. The first three days, we had good weather, but we know it changes in Oklahoma. And they soon had the spring rains. And when the rains came, before the end of the week, they're living in mud. Everybody's trying to build some sort of a platform, get out of the mud, get a roof over your head. People are working as hard as they can to have shelter and food and water. It is not easy. It would have been understandable if you come to Sunday and you don't take the day off to go worship. No, you keep on working. Times are hard. From what we can tell, there were two groups. Two groups who did take that first Sunday, April 28, 1889. They took the time to go worship. There were the Presbyterians. They went to Maine and Broadway. And there were the Methodists. They went much further out of town and they went to Third and Broadway. (laughs) That was the edge of town. Everything was happening mainly south of Main Street. We kind of got out of town up on a hill. And to make sure people knew where the Methodists were gathering, we staked this long pole in the ground and we had a white flag flying above it. And a person played the bugle to call people to worship. It was W.P. Shaw, a minister of the Southern Methodist Church, a big man with an incredible booming voice who was there to kind of help take lead. And he led them in the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And then he led them in the song, Amazing Grace. Then it was James Murray, a minister of the Northern Methodist Church, who brought the sermon. And then when we came to the end, it was Reverend Shaw who led us in the doxology, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. It was supposed to be a service of gratitude. Oh God, you have brought us thus far. You're leading us out into deep waters, to a whole new place. It was one of gratitude and praying that God would continue to lead them on. It was a great day, but you only get that one first Sunday. We know that in the months to come, Many different groups of people would come to start worshiping in Oklahoma City. There would be the Catholics and the Baptists and the Episcopalians and the Christians. Many would come to worship. But on that first Sunday, we only know of two groups, the Presbyterians and the Methodists. Now, the fascinating thing is, after we got through that first Sunday, the Methodists got together and had a discussion. Do you think we can keep meeting together? Because, you see, the Methodist church had split before the Civil War, all over slavery. And so you had the... North Methodist Church, and you had the Methodist Episcopal Church South. Shaw was of the Methodist Episcopal Church South. Murray was of the Methodist Church North. They got together and talked about it, and, you know, the Southerners said, you guys from up north, you just talk funny. You know, and you sometimes think funny as well, just a little different from us. And so we decided that after worshiping together for one week, and so after that one week, First Methodist Church was started, and you had the Southern Methodist Church being started. Now, I didn't realize until I started, when I came up here and I started doing all kinds of research about this, but 50, 60 years ago, this is a big discussion. The discussion goes back, who left whom? Which means, on that first worship service on that Sunday, 
Was it the Southern Methodist Church who left, and so you can't claim you worshiped on the first Sunday? Or was it the Northern Methodist, First Methodist that left, and they can't claim the first Sunday, they can claim the second Sunday? I think it's only appropriate that we're both able to claim we worshiped on the first Sunday. However, I mean, if you really want to push the point as to who was there for the first Sunday, we have the flag. We met at 3rd and Broadway. We know that First Methodists went and met somewhere else. For four Sundays, Reverend Shaw just kind of filled in and we had worship. And it wasn't until June that the Southern Methodist Bishop came and he brought $750 from the Mission Society to give to this new church to buy three lots at 3rd and Broadway. So the place where the first worship service was held is where we bought the land and continued to worship. If you got the land and you got the flag, I rest my case. So. But I'd like to say we all shared in that first worship service, all Methodists north and south. But it was hard. Right off the bat, they could see we've got to get up off the dirt. And so they built what they called a tabernacle. They built this little floor and they had one wall. One wall behind the preacher and it was all an open air tabernacle. In fact, it became known as Tabernacle Methodist Church. And so that's where we were worshiping, and it served us well for the next three months. It was I.L. Burrow who got appointed to be pastor in June. He came from Arkansas, and we were off to a good start. But we got to September, and we were thinking ahead. The Methodists were no dummies. We thought, it's going to get cold. And so we started then trying to put on some sidewalls and even to put on a roof, and we had this wooden structure known as the tabernacle. Served us well the next three or four years. But finally, we decided we could have more permanent building. We moved the tabernacle to one part of the lots, and we then built a small brick structure that you saw a moment ago that was the tabernacle, our first place to meet there at 3rd and Broadway. Now, times are hard in Oklahoma City. I told you on April the 22nd, we had 10,000 people day one. In 1900, Oklahoma City had 10,000 people. During that time, many people found it too tough and left. Other people would come. And so it was kind of hard on the church, but we were slowly gaining traction. Finally, by 1900, we had 182 members, and we were self-sufficient. We did not have to receive any money from the mission board. We were making it on our own. And if you go back and look in the newspapers, because there were several already in Oklahoma City, you can see where we had advertised, come to the Tabernacle Methodist Church, where seats are free. Now we advertise that because that's not true in all churches, especially those who came from back east. You had to buy the family pew. You had to pay for your seats. But not here in the Southern Methodist Church. No, no, come worship at the Tabernacle Methodist Church, where the seats are free. We were very proud of that. You could come. In 1901, we were very fortunate. We had a wonderful person who joined the life of this church, helped to change the life of the church, and that was Edgar S. Vaught. He would later become a judge, and everybody just simply knew him as Judge Vaught. When he came in 1901, he was someone who just had commanded this presence. I mean, he had this charismatic personality, which is kind of a strong person. He joined the first Sunday he visited, and that Sunday we made him Sunday school superintendent. It was very special that we, they, that he and Mrs. Vaught joined the church. 
What was a little strange was the fact that Mrs. Vaught, well, she was in Tennessee, and she was an devout, devout Presbyterian. But Judge Vaught knew that she would want to join the Methodist Church, and so he joined her on that Sunday right along with him. <laughs> and he later told her, guess what? You're a part of the Methodist Church. Thank goodness she decided she liked St. Luke's. It didn't take but a couple more years, and we could see we needed to move to another building. And so we got to looking around and we decided that we would go to 8th and Robinson and build this beautiful Georgian church. But if we were going to move there, the name Tabernacle Methodist Church no longer fit. We, we didn't have a tabernacle anymore. We had this beautiful big church. And so as in 1904, we made the decision to change the name to St. Luke's. We got ready to make the move. But before we could move into our new building, the city was out doing some excavation work right near our property, got too close to the tabernacle, affected the foundation, and a wall fell in on the church. Thank goodness it wasn't a Sunday morning. No one was hurt, but we could no longer worship there, and the new building wasn't finished yet. And so we had to figure out what to do, and thank goodness it was the Baptists who were so hospitable. They called, and they said, why don't you come meet in our basement on Sunday mornings? We'll meet in our auditorium and we can share while you wait for your church to be through. So we began to hold worship services in the, ba the basement of the Baptist church. And that worked for a couple of Sundays. But after a couple of Sundays, we all kind of got to looking at each other and going, I'm not sure how close we want to be to each other here. <laughs> the Baptist is going, are you sure you want Methodist in the basement? And the Methodist going, I'm not sure we want to be close with the Baptist. And so... The Methodist went over to a Jewish fellowship and said, could we meet in the synagogue? That way you could be meeting on your night worship services earlier in the day, and we could meet on Sunday mornings in the, in the synagogue. And, and so they agreed to do that, and that's what we did. We worshiped there in the, the synagogue for the Jewish family of faith. Now, I don't want you to take that story to hear that, that the Methodists found it easier and more comfortable to be with the Jews than the Baptists now. No, we were all pretty ecumenical in those days. Everybody was helping each other right off the early ones. We were supportive of one another. In fact, by 1900, there were 47 churches in Oklahoma City. It was said there are more Bibles than there were guns. And I think it really affected who we were and who we are today as a city. And it affected who we are as a family of faith. It was on May the 24th. 1908 that we were going to move into our new building and we did but on that Saturday it started to rain and it rained seven inches that Saturday and it kept on raining that Sunday and it rained so hard that it shut down the trolley cars and it shut down the telephones and we had our grand opening worship service and only a handful of people got to come it reminded me so much of, of Marathon Sunday here at St. Luke's now you know <laughs> I know how these things happen. When we moved into that building, and for the next 42 years, it was a great time in the life of St. Luke's. It was a beautiful facility. There was great leadership, lay leadership, pastoral leadership. The church really continued to grow in just a, an incredible way. It turned out that one of the things you learn about the church in those days was it had an incredible spirit of joy. We didn't know how to laugh. We had a great time. We took our faith seriously. We worked hard. But we were a family of faith that knew how to laugh. We were a people of joy. 
Not every church is like that. But that was who we were as we started. It was fascinating. You know, we, we started on April the 28th. Four weeks later, we had our first church social as the Tabernacle Methodist Church, and we didn't even have a preacher yet. But we got together to have a social and to enjoy one another. In 1909, after we'd moved into our new building, Judge Vaught took a different position. We had a new Sunday school superintendent, and he wanted to make sure our young people, that they were growing in their faith and took this seriously. So he called all the parents together on a Sunday morning. Judge Vaught was there, and he said, I can't believe any of you parents are letting your children read the funnies in the newspaper before they come to church on Sunday. Don't do that. Judge Vaught, did you ever let your children read the funnies before they came to Sunday school? And Judge Vaught thought for a moment and he said, Well, yes, sometimes they did. If I got through with them first. <laughs> he kind of helped take it down a notch for this gentleman to say, Look, we're not going to be quite so hard and staunch here. We're, we want to know a little bit of joy when we come to worship. In 1918, Forney Hutchinson became the senior pastor. Brother Forney, he would become known because people loved him so much. He was so warm. He was kind. He knew how to have fun. He would be the pastor of St. Luke's for 14 years. He has the second longest tenure of any senior pastor in the history of St. Luke's. Yep. So he had... Pastor for 14 years, and he was an incredibly warm brother Forney. But he loved to tell the story on himself. And the story is about when he joined the church, just like our confirmands today. What a special day. He was 11 years old. He had gone to a revival. And at the end of the revival, they gave the altar call, and he went forward to be baptized, to profess his faith, and to join the church. And he had to come sit on the mourner's bench. Confirmands, in the old days when you joined the church, you sat on the mourner's bench first. You mourned your sins. You mourned the things you'd done wrong. You had to sit on the mourner's bench. And that's where he went to sit. And everyone else was singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. And a woman came up to him and said, Do you know Jesus? And he said, Yes. And said, Well, son, you're not going to get to heaven sitting on the mourner's bench. Stand up and sing with joy. And Forney jumped up and began to sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. So a man came by and said, Son, you're not going to get to heaven by singing. You better get on your knees and start praying. So Forney said, I got down on my knees and I started praying and singing, Oh, how I love Jesus, while I prayed. (laughs) Finally, he said, the singing and the service was done. They invited us to come forward to be baptized. And he got down front and he said, the preacher was in a hurry to get through. We couldn't find any water. Finally, he remembered the pitcher of water he'd been using to drink from while he preached his sermon. He went back and got that to come baptize all of us with. And he came by to baptize, and like you saw today, when I baptize, it's, you know, what's your given name? First and middle name, Robert Earl, I baptize you. They came by, and the pastor said, so what's your name? He said, Forney. No, I mean, what's your whole name? He said, Forney's all. All right, Forney's all. I baptize you in the name of the Father. (laughs) Forney Hutchinson said, thank God he's willing to receive us into salvation, whether the preacher knows our name or not. No, he loved to laugh and could laugh at himself. And that's what the church did. It had a spirit, a joy. Not every church has that. It was a special thing about this family of faith. When we came to the 1940s, we really had two big decisions left to make. And the first thing was, would we reunite with First Methodist Church? 
You see, the Methodist church finally got back together, 1939. We had split over slavery before the Civil War, and finally in 1939, we merged back again, so we no longer had the Methodist Church North and the Methodist Church Episcopal South. We had one church. And so everyone said, well, is First Methodist and St. Luke's going to merge? After all, you had one like Third and Robinson and one at Eighth and Robinson, these two large churches, they need to merge. Everyone knew it would happen. But all these meetings were held, and finally First Methodist took a vote, and they voted, we will not disband and join St. Luke's. So now it was up to St. Luke's. And so we had a meeting, and all the people came. And it was Judge Vaught who stood up to speak first. Judge Vaught, well, he was certainly a man of great stature now. Been a member of the church 40 years plus. Everyone knew there was no one who loved St. Luke's more than Judge Vaught. No one loved the Lord more than Judge Vaught. And he stood up and said, I've been thinking and I've been praying. And it seems clear to me there's only one decision to make. And that is we need to go merge with First Methodist Church. And there was this silence that fell over this discussion. No one said a word. And then it was Miss Willa Harrison, Clyde Harrison's wife. Clyde Harrison was a significant leader in the life of our church. We have a Sunday school class, the Clyde Harrison Sunday school class. But it wasn't Clyde, it was his wife, Willa, a lady who was very quiet, reserved. She held up her hand and said, I'd like to say something. And she stood up and said, there's no one who loves and respects Judge Vaught more than me. But Judge Vaught, I believe on this one, you're wrong. I don't think we ought to merge. We ought to stay our own church, and we need to go build our own building, and we need to do it ourselves, we need to do it now. And she sat down. And when she sat down, it kind of just changed the whole field. Suddenly, everybody felt like they could talk. People started offering opinions. People started laughing. They took the vote. It was overwhelming. We will not merge. We'll go build our own building. And that was decided forever. I couldn't help but think, isn't that amazing? That's such a pivotal moment in the life of our church. It was a woman in the 1940s who really helped to bring such critical leadership. So different from what you would expect in our society in that day. But that's who we are at St. Luke's. Everyone had a voice and was respected and important. So we made the decision we're going to continue to go on our own way. And so now the question became, where do we build? And soon it was decided we'd build here at 15th and Robinson. And so we purchased the land, and in June of 1950, we opened up our Christian education area that was also the sanctuary then, and then we opened up the sanctuary in 1957. McFerrin Stowe and his wife Twyla came in 1951 to 1964. He truly was the right man at the right time to come and to lead this church. There was such great lay leadership, and with his leadership, St. Luke's was truly in a phenomenal time. When you stop and look at the first 75 years, the life of this church, what I think is amazing is that what you see are certain values that we try to live out today at 125 years. Just three quick things. One, they've always wanted to share Christ. St. Luke's has always believed you go out and share Christ. It was W.P. Shaw, the southern pastor, even after Reverend Burrow came, he'd be out visiting. Did I tell you he was six feet seven tall? Six foot seven in 1889. That was unusual. And he would go wear with his top hat and his Prince Albert coat and his striped pants. 
He had this booming voice and you'd arrive and he'd help unload your stuff into the house and then he'd invite you to church. And they came. I don't know if it's because they felt invited or intimidated, (laughs) but they came. But it wasn't just the pastors, no. Susie Ray tells a wonderful story of how she came in those early days and she was just getting settled in her house and a buggy pulled up front and two women got out in their long dresses and they pulled them up not to drag in the dirt and they came up on the porch and said, Welcome, Miss Ray. We know you're a Methodist. We want to invite you to church. And she laughed and thought, How do they know I'm Methodist? She was. And she said, Well, you're right. I'm a Democrat and I'm Methodist. But my husband is Republican and he's Baptist. And they said, that's okay, he can join too. <laughs> and they both did the very next Sunday. From the beginning we understood all people are welcome to come to church. This commitment to share Christ is why we went on television, why we started radio ministry. It's why we started our contemporary lifelight worship service. It's why we started our campus ministries. We've understood when Jesus called the disciples, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Everybody, it doesn't matter whether you're a preacher or teacher or plumber or carpenter or lawyer. You can live your life in such a way that you help win people to Christ. And when you help bring other people to Christ, you change the world. You do something significant that matters. Every single one of us is given that opportunity. Secondly, the church always wanted to grow in its faith. In 1932, Paul Quillian came. And as this young pastor following Brother Forner, he stood up on his first Sunday and said, Do you have the same faith you had 20 years ago? If you do, why? Why haven't you grown? What an interesting approach. He wanted everybody to be growing in their faith, not just stay in the same. You're supposed to grow in your faith. And he emphasized Bible studies and Sunday school. We've been very committed at St. Luke's to growing in faith. To all of our confirmands, understand, I told you earlier, this is just the beginning. You just committed to a lifetime of growing in your faith, of learning, developing. You do it until the day you die. When the disciples followed Jesus after that first fishing experience, they couldn't give you an ecclesiology and a Christology and an eschatology. They didn't have all the theological answers. They followed Christ and they would grow in their faith. You and I are committed to growing in our faith to the day that we die. I hope if you're a part of this family of faith for five years, ten years, fifteen years, your faith is different because you have come. But third... We've always had a commitment to serve the community. When the early church came together after the risen Christ had ascended into heaven, the first thing we did was we organized to take care of the widows and the poor and the orphans. If you love God, then you can't help but want to serve other people. We've always had a spirit. Our WSCS, the Women's Society for Christian Service, so many years ago in the beginning of our church had bake sales, raised the money and gave it all away to missions. And a couple weeks ago, our United Methodist women had a bake sale and raised money. And Pat Morton called me to say, we're giving it all away to our missions. Nothing's changed in 125 years. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's why we went to Ulyanovsk and Honduras. It's why we have after-school ministries like Studio 222 and El Sistema. 
and we work with Rancho Villa Elementary School, and it's why we have mobile meals. We do so much. Because when you know that you're loved by God, you want to reach out and love others and serve others. That's always been a part of our DNA. What I've discovered about St. Luke's, it's an amazing group of people for 125 years who are willing to seize the moment to go out into deep waters, to share Christ, grow in faith, serve the community, and do it all in a spirit of joy. You know, it's 23 years ago right now that Marsh and I were first invited up here to come visit at St. Luke's. We were very happy with our life in Houston. Our parents lived in Houston. Our brothers and sisters lived in Houston. Marsh had a great job in Houston. We'd built our own home with our own hands. We lived in in Houston. We loved the church where we served. We had no desire to come to Oklahoma. But the bishop said, you really ought to go see this church. And so we came. And when we got here, we started meeting with the pastor, parish relations committee, and some of the people. And it was the people. The spirit. There was such a sense of joy and such a sense of faith. It was different. We learned a little bit about the history of the church and the amazing things this church has done. And then I'll never forget the day that we came in the back doors of the sanctuary. We'd grown up at First Methodist Church in Houston, much like this. And when we walked in the back doors and we stood back there, I will never forget, we stood there for a long time and did not say a word. And finally I looked over to Marsh and said, We're home. We're home. I know how to do this. And I just got to say, the last 23 years have been an incredible blessing for our life and our family, the friends we have made, the fun, amazing things we have done. It's been an incredible adventure. And so I look from my own life to the example and the life of the pioneers to the disciples on the seashore of Galilee so long ago. And I know it is true. Jesus gives every single one of us an opportunity. An opportunity to seize the day. To go out into deep waters. To risk and to dream. And if you're willing to go, he promises life will be an amazing adventure. What this church has done in the last 25 years is incredible. But where we're going to go is going to be exciting to see. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.